Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. How could a loving God send people to hell? It is incomprehensible. If God is love, as the Bible claims he is, then surely he wouldn't do that. A love and hell seem incompatible, mutually exclusive. If I can put it like this, love is over here and hell is way over there and they are nothing whatsoever to do with one another. Uh, The Christian writer C.S. Lewis uh, writes this, There is no doctrine I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this, hell, if it lay in my power. But it has the full support of scripture and especially our Lord's own words. Uh, That's uh, page 94 in The Problem of Pain. Well, we we heard uh, yesterday uh, of the Bible's claim that God came into the world in Jesus Christ, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to simply ask the question tonight, what does our Lord, as C.S. Lewis called him, what does our Lord Jesus Christ have to say in answer to the question? Well, Jesus once told a parable, a story. It's there on the handout that you've got ahead of you from Luke, Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. And I simply want to take you tonight through this story of Jesus's. It is, first of all, about two men. And just look at it with me. Look at uh, verse nine, 19. The first man was very rich indeed. Uh, Verse 19 says he wore the latest clothes, uh, uh, whatever the equivalent was to Hollister. He employed a brilliant chef. Verse 20 says that he had a gate. Now, as far as I understand it, that word gate, translated in the English here, uh, could well mean uh, uh, a portico. And nowadays, an electric gate. There you go, he could just smoothly ride on into his house. He lived in luxury. He oozed wealth. That is the first man in Jesus' story. The second man, by contrast, is very, very different indeed. Have a look down at verses 20 and 21 at the sheet there. Now that says, uh, Jesus tells us that in the story, this man was extremely poor. All that he had on his back were sores. His dinner came from the rich man's bin. Uh, Not the blue bin, the clean one that doesn't smell. The grey bin. He ate the leftovers from the rich man's table. The only compassion he felt in life were the tongues of stray dogs that licked his sores. But, but, here's the difference. He had something that the rich man did not have. He had a name, Lazarus, which ironically means he whom God helps. Well, it didn't look like it. Lazarus, he whom God helps. Uh, Jesus' parables, Jesus' stories, as Jesus tells them, he lays a trap for the punchline at the end. And therein lays the punchline already beginning to come. This man had a name. The poor man's name underlines the fact that the rich man was 
just rich. That's all, just rich. All he was known for and all he lived for was his wealth. Two men, two destinies. Tonight's question assumes that the concepts of love and hell are mutually exclusive. But Jesus doesn't assume that, and that's a little bit challenging for us. Jesus, the most loving man who ever lived, spoke more about hell than anyone else. And in this story, look at verse 22, Lazarus went to heaven, and look at verse 23, the rich man went to hell. Jesus, the man of love, who taught us to love our enemies, says hell exists. Well, from hell, the rich man cried out, verse 24, I am in agony in this fire. He cries out to Abraham in heaven. And the Bible imagery of hellfire, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a metaphor. But before we say, well, that's a, that's a relief, we must accept that uh, hellfire is hardly a metaphor for something nice. Uh, C.S. Lewis, again, if I can quote him, says, uh, uh, now it is quite certain that all these expressions, that is, these images of hell, are intended to suggest something unspeakably horrible. And any interpretation which does, which does not face that fact, I am afraid, says C.S. Lewis, is out of court from the beginning. Two men, two destinies. Two men, one rich, one poor, two destinies, heaven and hell. Two questions. Here's the first. How did the rich man end up in hell? How did he get there? Is it because he was rich? No. Did the poor man end up in heaven simply because he was poor? No. No, no. The Bible tells us that wealth is a blessing from God. And it's right here in this parable in Jesus' story. If you look at verse 22, Abraham, who's in heaven with Lazarus, uh, the poor man in heaven, Abraham's there, and Abraham was a fabulously wealthy man. In fact, the way that his wealth is described in the Old Testament is the way that king's wealth is described in the Old Testament. And they're in heaven together. No, no, it's not wealth or poverty. God gives wealth. We have it on trust, and God calls us to use it to bring blessing to others. That's one of the ways we demonstrate that it's not an idol. The problem with the rich man is that he was just rich, a nameless multimillionaire. All he was known for. Yeah, verse 25, Abraham says to him, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. He'd had what he thought were his good things. He'd had his number one. Wealth was his identity. It was his goal. It was what he lived for. And he had had it. He'd made his choice. He'd got it. St. Augustine, in uh, one of his books, The City of God, says that, uh, and it's an interesting concept, this. Uh, uh, you might not have thought of things this way. The root of moral and spiritual disorder, the root of Sin is that our lie isn't isn't that we uh, is that our loves are disordered. Let me explain this. 
Sin is not the result of loving bad things, says St. Augustine. Sin is actually uh, the result of loving good things, but getting them in the wrong order. We take something that is good and we make it the best. We make it the ultimate thing. We say to ourselves, if I have this or that, then I'll be important, I'll be valued. If it's taken away from me, then I'll be unimportant and devalued. And whatever it is that's coming into your mind at moments, in your conscience and in your heart, I don't know what might be coming into your mind. What is it that if it was taken away from you? Uh, Andrew just mentioned a moment ago that I lead a, a church, Christchurch Central, in town. We've been going eight years, and I've got to be very careful. That's not an idol. I've poured a lot of life and energy into that. If it was to go, hands up, yeah, I, I, some of me would go. I've got to be very careful. I don't know what it is for you. And so we love and we live for something more than loving and living for God. For the rich man it was wealth, but it may as well have been good looks. It may as well have been a good education, career, power, comfort or family. How could a loving God send people to hell? Jesus' story says nothing at all about God sending the rich man to hell. I wonder would you note that? Sure, there are other parts of the Bible that talk about God sending people to hell. Jesus' story here does not do that. All the emphasis in the story is not on God's choice. It's on the rich man's choice. He chose his good things. You had your good things. He lived for and he worshipped what was basically self-serving, self-promoting idol rather than God. And then having made his choice, he stuck to it. He stuck to it every time he came out of his house. He whooshed out in his fabulous car, electric gate closing behind him. He glanced and he sees the poor man, Lazarus, with his sores on his back and the dogs licking them and eating his cold porridge from the morning and he just carries on going. Every time he came back in, he goes through the same thing again. He had a choice to switch and get rid of the idol and to demonstrate he got rid of the idol by sharing with the poor man. Every day he had at least two choices if he'd left his home. But no. It became a settled conviction. What's more, he didn't change his mind in hell. He didn't like it in hell, but um, nor did he ask Abraham to get him out. And we said, well, yeah, I mean, I suppose theologically, once you're in hell, you can't get out. But he assumed <coughs> that Lazarus can leave heaven. So why didn't he assume that he could leave hell? You see, he doesn't ask to get out of hell. He asked for Lazarus to join him there <laughs> and to uh, lift his finger and put a bit of water on his tongue and ease him from his distress in verse 24. C.S. Lewis, sorry again, I keep quoting him, famously said that there are going to be two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. Or as another part of the Bible says, Romans chapter 1, God gives us over to the sinful desires of our hearts. John's Gospel, men, women prefer darkness rather than light. God gives us what we choose. How did the rich man get to hell? Jesus' story says that the only people in hell are people who choose to go there. 
And that forces us, us to ask the question, who am I really? What's my true identity? What or who do I love most? Is my name my identity? Is my name based around my money, my work, my family, my art, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, my sport? Or, like Lazarus, is my identity rooted in God? No matter what life brings, Lazarus, God is my helper. God. God is my identity. God is my first love. You see, the answers to these questions tell us tonight the eternal destiny which we are choosing for ourselves. That's the first question. Second question, how can hell be avoided? That's where the story goes on. The second question that Jesus answers, uh, there it goes on in the rest of the story. Look at verse 26. If Abraham can't send Lazarus to visit the rich man in hell... Verse 27, 28 uh, goes on over the page there and says the rich man asks that Lazarus be sent to visit his five brothers still on earth. Now, what's he asking for? Well, he's, uh, he's asking for a, a Charles Dickens moment, isn't he? A Christmas carol, Ebenezer Scrooge, cold-hearted, tight-fisted, greedy, hates Christmas. What's going to change him? Answer? The visits of the ghosts of Christmas past and Christmas present and Christmas future. He's shocked, he's frightened into changing. That's what the rich man wants his brothers to experience. You know, they freak them out. A ghostly Lazarus, you know, appearing from the grave and just shocking them, frightening them. Ah, it's Lazarus, you know, there is a hell. You know, I better make sure I change my life so I don't go there. But Abraham won't do it. Jesus is saying that shock won't frighten people out of hell. You won't be frightened out of going to hell, it seems to me, is what Jesus is saying here. Nor will the most remarkable miracle amaze people out of going to hell. Verse 31, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. That's the punchline of a story told by Jesus who, as we heard on Monday night, rose fully bodily from death. If neither fear nor amazement will change the brothers' minds, what would? How can hell be avoided? Jesus answers that not once, but twice at the end of the story. Verse 29. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Verse 31, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Moses and the prophets, that's the phrase that Jesus uses there. It's a reference to the whole of the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament section of the Bible. But uh, what was it, what is it, that Jesus would want uh, us or, or, or the five brothers to actually listen and hear in the Old Testament? What is it specifically that the brothers must hear in the Old Testament in Jesus' story? Well, Jesus uses that same phrase again in Luke's Gospel. When some other people hadn't listened to Moses and the prophets, and they were blind, and they were frightened, and they were worried, people who needed to listen again to hear something crucial... And maybe that's you tonight. 
He was following Jesus' death. His disciples, they were broken, they were bereaved, they were utterly lost because they hadn't listened to the Moses and the prophets. They were completely confused. They didn't understand because they hadn't listened. And they hadn't listened to Jesus, who fulfills Moses and the prophets. The one they'd loved, followed, served as God's king, had been brutally killed. They were told that Jesus had risen, and they were still not believing it. And, and as they walk home, two of them, Jesus, the risen Jesus, fully bodily, draws alongside them and walks with them. And he said to them, it's on the sheet, Luke 24. How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things? That's the key thing. They didn't understand that he had to die and suffer. And beginning with Moses, see the phrase, and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. See, he practiced what he preached in his own parable, chapter 16. He didn't jump out to amaze them. He didn't jump from behind a bush and freak them out and scare them. Whoa. No, he drew alongside them and uh, took them to the Bible. He practiced what he preached. That was his method. We see the crucial thing that the Bible tells us that they didn't get. That God's King, the Messiah, the Son of God, God himself, Jesus would come and suffer and die. And as he died on the cross, Jesus cried out, quoting the Old Testament, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was separated from God, his Father. He was alienated from God, his Father. That's actually the best definition of hell, to be separated from God. That is, on the cross, Jesus endured and experienced hell. See, what turns people away from hell? Amazement? Fear? No, no, no. God's love in coming himself to die and experience hell for us. God's love is what will turn us around. How can a loving God send people to hell? Let me turn the question around. Is there anything else the loving God of the Bible can do to stop people going to hell? Is there anything else he could do to stop people going to hell? The Old Testament says, Isaiah 53, and you'll know it if you know your Messiah, Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. Our choice of the good in life, the things we love more than loving God. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Ironically, it's as we see and reflect on the reality of hell that we come to see just how much God actually loves us. Avoid contemplating hell and we diminish our understanding of God's love in Jesus. Jesus the judge did not come to bring hell that first time he came, but to bear hell. He experienced hell 
so we don't have to. And I, I want to get emotional now because I think of Mark. Don't feel sorry for him, by the way, it comes to question time. You still ask me hard questions, don't you know? Jesus says you only go to hell as a result of your choice. And you only go to hell, if I can put it like this, Jesus says, over my dead body. No, don't go. I die to stop you going. Don't go this way. Ask forgiveness for getting your loves the wrong way up and making an idol of good things. Thank God for Jesus Christ who died to save you from the consequences of your own choice. Our own foolish, silly choice, my choice. Trust Jesus Christ in his death upon the cross and pray, Lord God, help me to live with you as my first love. Help me get the order right. 